Hello, everyone. Welcome to JCV Art Studio Season 5. My name is Joanna, and I'm the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And Spy Girls is coming along. It's coming along. September, September, it's coming out. Okay. It's it's crazy because it's taken me two years to write this book. And I've I've retired. It's taken me longer to write Spy Girls than it has the previous two. And I'm just I'm I'm shaking my head. <laughs> Anyways, it's it's writing, it's the writing experience. And um we're gonna talk about writing with two really encouraging authors today. So this podcast is the first in a series of podcasts I'm doing in my capacity as the official podcast host for the 2022 Canadian Book Club Award winners. And I'm excited to feature the first two authors, D.F. Wibley, who is the author of One Arctic Night, and Kelly Shuto, the author of What Does It Mean to Be Your Best? And I'm going to just read their bios here. Kelly Shuto is a kindergarten and grade one teacher on the West Coast of BC. She has two boys who are active in sports and a cat who is active in sleeping. She loves exploring nature, spending time with friends and family, and morning walks with the coffee. God, Kelly, I, I sure get that. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly values big smiles and a good belly laugh. She's passionate about helping children to recognize their self-worth, their own bravery, and their individual accomplishments by celebrating all successes. One of her favorite ways to share messages with her students is through thought-provoking picture books that allow for meaningful connections and introspection. So important today. Her goal is to help the children she works with to leave each school day feeling happier and more confident than when they entered the classroom that morning. Fantastic. Now, D.F. Whibley, Dawn, was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. His career took him around the world several times. Gosh, we are crossing this country. <laughs> although, although a fiction... Although One on One Arctic Night is fiction, and it is his first book, he has compiled several experiences and ob observations he made while traveling the Canadian Arctic. D.F. Wibley describes village life in a Canadian Arctic town in a way you will feel like you are walking through the town with his characters. Having traveled the world for many years, he brings an in-depth point of view regarding social problems that cross all borders. Kelly and Dawn, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Joanna. Thank you very much for having us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Oh, good, good. Now, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, I find each book is a different writing experience. Um, I remember when The Unraveling came out, my husband said to me, Joe, how does it feel? You know, you've published your first book. It's out there for readers. And uh, I just, I, I, it wasn't nerves. I just thought, oh my gosh, now everybody knows what sort of a imagination I have, <laughs> right? That could be good or bad. So <laughs> starting, starting with you, Kelly, what did it feel like? when What Does It Mean to Be Your Best was released into the world? And how how did you feel? Yeah, it's always when people ask me this, it's I don't really know how to answer because sometimes I feel like it hasn't even sunk in yet. Like when I look on the computer and I can Google my name and I see author beside it and I see, um, you know, two books beside my name. It's something that I've always dreamed of my whole life and the fact that it's here. Um I, I just sometimes, yeah, I can't even grasp that it's actually real. Yeah. I remember when I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. And I just kind of like one foot in front of the other that I think we all do. And by the time I got to releasing the book, it was just 
the next step. I remember putting it out on social media and my heart was just pounding and I was sitting next to my husband going, okay, it's out there. And all of a sudden, beep, 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 you know, all of these responses start coming. And I actually had to turn my phone off for a couple of days because the love and support was so overwhelming that um, it was just a lot to take in. And it really made me realize that, you know, we're here for a short time and I, I want to leave a legacy for my children. And I hope that the books that I'm creating are love letters to my children and their grandchildren and all of the kids that I teach. So yeah, it feels really special. It feels really neat. And it just feels very surreal still. Okay, good, good. Good. I, I understand though. I understand. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so Dawn, the same for you. How did you feel when One Arctic Night was released? Absolutely terrified. <laughs> That's the only way I could describe it. I certainly suffered from a lack of self-confidence doing this book, and I'll explain a little bit why. I think uh, I learned that the male psyche uh, here in Quebec, for example, in Montreal, we have a very large number of dropouts of 17-year-old boys, 16-year-old boys. They drop out of high school, not because they're not intelligent and can do the work, but they are afraid of failure. And so many males will prefer to drop out of school than to fail. And so here I was setting myself up for failure. Uh, writing this story, I had no idea how people would react to it. They might look at it and think, you know, what a silly story or uh, what, what an odd thing for this person to be writing. And so I was really terrified. I lacked a lot of self-confidence. I allowed family members to read it. Uh, I didn't believe them <laughs> when they said, oh, it's a nice story. I thought, no, they're just being nice to me. And uh, then I started to reach out to other authors uh, to have them comment on what I was writing. Many of them got back and said it was an excellent story. And I thought, well, they're just being nice to me. So when it finally came out, I was really terrified. I thought that people would look at this and think that it's an odd book or whatever. And it wasn't until uh, I started to read reviews online that I started to come around and say to myself, well, I guess I do believe what uh, the other people were saying because I got excellent reviews. Some of them brought me to tears, actually. They were so in-depth and so wonderfully written. Uh, I was really amazed. And winning the Canadian Book Club Award was also a way of, for me, to accepting the fact that it's not a failure. It's a great little book, and I'm very proud of it. So that's going to lead me to, and first of all, both of you, no fear. I have read both these books. And like I said, they gave me hope. They gave me so much hope. <laughs> okay. So Kelly, how did it feel when you, you, you found out you won the Canadian Book Club Award? Yeah, it was so exciting. So much of this process has been with my kids. So I have two boys, they're 10 and 12. And I want to show them that mom can do anything and they can do anything. And I remember my, um, I had a family member send me a message from Calgary or from Red Deer and said, you know, you should, you should apply for this award. And I'd never heard of it. It's like looked into it. It's like, I'm doing this. Like, I'm going to go for it. And then when I found out that I was a finalist, I remember I was like saying to my kids, I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know how this happened, but I'm a finalist and you wait months and you wait months. And I remember I was sitting on my couch. I think I was watching morning sports with my boys on TV and I knew it was coming out and I went, oh my goodness, I won. And they're like, you won what? And I was like, I won. <laughs> like, I was so excited. And they were excited as 10 and 12 year old boys can be, but it was, um, yeah, it was validating. It was exciting. Uh, it, it's all just been a bit of a whirlwind to think like my little idea that lived in my head that came from my students is resonating with other people. It just felt really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. Dawn, I see you're nodding your head too. Yeah. Good. Good. Now on your website, Kelly, you write 
that growing up, you never felt smart. You were athletic and good at sports, but never felt you had anything to offer academically. And as children, we have to stop thinking this. I mean, I felt this way. I felt this way as as a child. I know authors who have felt this way. Um, you know, we hear of imposter syndrome, and this has got to stop. <laughs> and I'm the biggest perpetrator of of feeling imposter syndrome. So, how are you hoping, or your goal, that with what does it mean to be your best, will Will it squash this mindset? Because it's it's got to, we got to stop. What do you think? <laughs> okay. So growing up, I knew I was good at sports. I was the athletic girl. I had confidence beyond confidence in my sporting abilities, but I go into the classroom and growing up in the eighties, like I was in the lowest reading group and I knew it. I was always put, you know, in, in the group with the easiest books and the easiest writing and the lowest expectations. And I kind of felt like for me, I was okay with that because that's where I was comfortable, but it was embarrassing. And I didn't feel like I like pushed myself and challenged myself because I knew I was in those lowest groups. Like we all know, kids know. And when I went to university, I would drop out of classes if it said I had to do an oral presentation because I was not comfortable. I could hide behind a paper or something. I could get someone to support me in that way. But actually being up there and presenting myself um, as me in real time was terrifying. And as I've gotten older, um, I've just realized that I, I do have things to offer. And where that came from was other people seeing in me what I didn't yet see in myself, yeah. which I think is so, so important and helps to kind of um, write people's stories a little bit. So as a kindergarten teacher, I see my job as helping these kids to see themselves. And I want every kid to know that they are good at something and it doesn't always need to be the same thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay at math. I'm not amazing at math, but I've learned to enjoy it. I know I'm good at sports, but most of all, I know I'm good with people. And that's where I kind of found my niche. And so writing these books were inspired by watching my own kids grow up and also by the students in my own class. I knew I always wanted to write, but I didn't have something that that really spoke to me that I was ready to put out in the world. And um, my first book is called What Does It Mean to Be Brave? And it was inspired by a little girl in my class who was terrified of the wood chips on the playground. Aww. And it took her four months to put her foot on the wood chips. And I realized in that moment that brave isn't the same for everyone. It is different. And the levels of brave, what one person might think they need a lot of courage for, um, somebody else needs a lot of courage to do something that's easy for that person. And I wanted all of those things to be celebrated. So the next book, um, What Does It Mean to Be Your Best, came from just talking to my kids and saying, we need to stop comparing ourselves to the person down the street or the the kid on your soccer team and just worry about being your best self because when you are your best self amazing things happen and it's a lot of like fake it till you make it put on a smile we're here to support you Um, we will get you through and when you're ready to persevere we're here for you but until you're ready for that moment we're just going to keep building those building blocks of of bravery and courage until you're ready to find your best self and what your passion is. So that's kind of what I hope for it to come from these books and for children. Good, good. And if for I you, just throw something else. Yeah, Dawn, Kelly, I was going to say. After mm-hmm. listening to Kelly, a lot of your description of your fear of talking in front of the, your, your, you know, the public or uh, reminds me of what I was mentioning about the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And how that's really tough to overcome. And I could imagine in young children, that would be uh, quite predominant as well. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of pressure from society to just be the best, right? Like the fastest, the tallest, the smartest. My my older son, is he was born a big kid. He's tall, he's strong, and he's always been, you're the tallest, you're the strongest. My other one, you're the smallest. And I don't know why we always need to put that comparison on kids. Yeah. Like just let them be who they are and let's celebrate that. 
We don't need to all read at the same time. We don't all need to write, um, you know, three pages by the time we're in grade one. Let's just let kids grow and progress at the level they're ready for. It's it's all right to fail as long as you try. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Dawn, what was your inspiration? What what made you decide that you wanted to write one Arctic night? Well, I go back several decades, and as I mentioned, I'm a, a avid traveler, and I was up in the <clears throat> Arctic on business. Actually, <clears throat> this in this particular trip, I was in the Western Arctic on Victoria Island in a small village called Cambridge Bay. And the type of work that I was doing, I was working for Canada's largest engineering firm. I'm not an engineer, I'm a technician with, I was a technician with them. And part of my job description was I had to calibrate storage tanks. Now these are these big white storage tanks that you'll see at near refineries that carry oil and other products. And generally, when I traveled to these remote areas, I would hire a local person. And in this particular little village, there were very few people around. And I asked the village elder, essentially, is there anyone here that could help me? And they set me up with a, he was probably 13 or 14 year old boy, uh, a little bit younger than I would have liked to help me take these measurements. Uh, but I had no choice. And when I first met this young lad, uh, he was so proud to be an Inuit. And I mentioned to him, I said, well, you know, it's going to be cold by the tanks. You better go get a bigger coat on. And he took a step back and he looked at me and he said, the cold doesn't bother me. I'm Inuit. And that pride came out and struck me. Yeah. And I thought, isn't that wonderful that this guy is proud to be Inuit uh, and he wasn't fearful of the cold weather that we were working in. And it was that day that I fell in love with the Inuit people and realized that I wanted to someday convey that pride in a story. And that's what I did. I uh, I took this little character that I only met for maybe an hour over 20 years ago. And I put him into this story as a proud young Inuit lad that knows the country, knows life in these villages. And uh, I think I did a pretty good job in conveying that uh, to the readers. Definitely, That's what started me way back then was the pride of the Inuit people. Yeah. Okay. So what I, you know, we're, I'm kind of, I do this sometimes teasing our listeners. Um, I'm going to get this standard question out of the way. Kelly, can you give just a teaser of what, um, uh, what does it mean to be your best is about? Like I, I, we're, we're giving teasers, but can you give us give us a, a hint? Yeah. Okay. So um, as a teacher in BC, we have something called the core competencies where we want children to uh, reflect on who they are and their abilities in terms of social skills and um, critical thinking and all that kind of stuff, stuff that's outside of the academics, but are so, so, so crucial to everyday life. So what my book is, is it's in two parts. The first half gives um, questions. Um, Does being your best mean this? Does being your best mean this? And there's no right or wrong answer. And that's my favorite part when I read it with kids is some kids say, yes, that does mean being the best. Um, And they're not wrong because sometimes it does. You won the race. You were the best that day. Um, And then in the middle of the book, there's a transition um, that talks about changing from our mindset from being the best to focus on being your best. Um, And then the second half of the book is statements. Um, being your best self could mean this. And the hope is that kids are able to then reflect on themselves and say, yeah, I I see me in that picture. I see me in those words. I can relate to those words. So it's not a traditional story in the sense that the reader is kind of the character. 
And the reader is reflecting on themselves as they read through each page. And each individual page is a little bit of a story in the illustrations itself. I hope that makes sense. Oh, it makes so much (laughs) sense. So much sense. See, because as a child, I was also uh, in that the reading group. I wasn't a strong reader. And I Mm -hmm. actually, I despised reading. Okay, I didn't mind comic books but the the big not the big stories and it for me it was the one adventure book that i read changed my whole outlook okay mm-hmm. on on reading and i became an avid reader okay so now dawn can you give us um a teaser a hint of what one arctic night is about yeah, certainly. <clears throat> One Arctic Night is the story of a 17-year-old Inuit boy in the village called Pangnatung, which exists. It's on Baffin Island. I've actually been there. And a uh, very small village. They're all very similar, these uh, places, as you go around the uh, Baffin Island or even Central Arctic or Western Arctic. The uh, And even the furthest uh, settlement called Greece Fjord, which is also, they're all very similar, small, they've got their oil tanks and everything. And this young 17-year-old lives a happy life up there, but he's discovering that some things are being affected by the outside world, such as global warming. Yeah. And the elders are noticing that there isn't as many polar bears and the ice isn't the same as it used to be. And the 17-year-old uh, lives with his family. The description of his family, the house that he lives in, the village that he lives in, um, I think opens the eyes to people that have never been to the Arctic before of what it's actually like to live there. And uh, sadly, his father gets a kidney stone attack and can't take these hunters out to hunt, which is the job that the father does up there. He has his own little business. Um, so Panuk has to take them out. And he uh, is confronted with racism. These guys are from a southern town. Uh, he has to deal with racism. And the story really asks, will these people survive this one Arctic night because a horrible storm comes? And uh, some, you know, he's confronted with a lot of issues that he has to deal with. And uh, one of them, and the theme of the book, will come up as forgiveness. And uh, so I'll leave it at that. Um, But it really, I think, opens the eyes to uh, people from the South, what it's like to live up there, and also what it's like to confront racism. Yeah. uh, Which none of us really have had to worry about in our lives, most of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I witnessed it. Oh, gosh. Like, just right in in front of me when I was in my car in Victoria the other day, uh, last week, and it just makes you sick. It just makes you sick, right? To see something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because I, you know, I had the pleasure of reading both your stories, both your books. And I just, I thought it was serendipitous that uh, the first podcast to start the Canadian Book Club series, and I have you two on, on this roundtable discussion, because both books, I found there are lessons to be learned. Um, Dawn, you mentioned about the global war- warming, um, but both of them, you know, the reader is learning. Um, and the other thing I liked with uh, your book, Dawn, is how you talk talk about the retelling of stories by friends and by family. So um, how important do you think it is, the retelling of stories? Because there's a, a there's scenes in there with Panuk where he's re- retelling stories, you know, of, of things that have happened in this hotel. Yes, that's that's right. 
the, most of these things have actually happened to me. So uh, a lot of it is from observation. Uh, I did the retelling of stories on the Inuit level, for example. I threw in a few of the Inuit legends so people could learn about, uh, you know, the, the way that they scare children to stay away from off of ice on the on the uh, ocean or on the water uh you know they use um i won't go into detail but they they uh you know they have legends and myths that they still use today and i found them fascinating and uh, even the giants of the land that the grandfather taught uh, um Panuk, you could see how these stories are handed uh to generation to generation so i twisted it a bit and there's a modern kind of myth up there and i'm referring to the honey pots yeah. and uh the honey pots were used in hotels and in homes for years up there which is simply a toilet seat with a green garbage bag under it and it's a camping toilet i guess you you would call it and i can remember sitting in a uh, hotel inn sort of place in uh, Rankin Inlet, which is off of Hudson's Bay. And I was told this story about somebody bringing through the dining room and the bag broke. And I found, oh my goodness, that's hilarious. And But several weeks later, I was up further north, I think in near Resolute, and I heard the same story. So I realized that it's just a myth that's being handed down from generation to generation. So I threw these little anecdotes into, into the book. Well, they're great. They're great anecdotes. And I, Kelly, you must feel that as a storyteller and in your capacity as a teacher, students learn so much through stories. Mm, absolutely. Even just listening to Don speak, I'm like hanging off every word. Like, what happened next? <laughs> you have so many adventures, Don, that you have been on. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I I think that um, we use stories a lot with children, especially because um, that's how we can connect to people, and that's how we can connect to ideas, and we can take um, complex issues and make them a bit more relatable for children. Um, in order for them to reflect on who they are and on who others are as well. And um, it, I think when I work with the kids, I always look for a good book in order to get the kids to connect and draw out some memories that they may have that they hadn't thought of in a long time. And as they share those, so often I'm going, oh, yeah, I remember something similar happened to me. And then it just turns into this dialogue back and forth of us sharing about ourselves which for me is is so much more valuable than any piece of paper that I could put in front of the kids, like actually sitting and learning how to listen. And I always tell them, we will sit in circle and we'll share ideas every morning. And there's 20 of us in class. And I say, we are going to speak once and we're going to listen 19 times. So which one is more important? And I say, listening is a skill. So we are going to practice listening to every single person. And that's how we learn about them. And that's how we make our community stronger by, by listening, supporting, reflecting, sharing, um, and building those relationships through our own stories. Uh, one of the other things that I've definitely learned is that um, we always allow kids to pass. Okay. Because not all stories are meant to be shared. Some are just meant to be reflected on and it doesn't make it less valuable if it's not shared. It sometimes makes it more valuable. And sometimes the neatest part of being a teacher or finding that book that really sparks a chord with, with somebody is, is when they're ready to start to share more. And I just think stories are so important for us to, you know, build community. I wish you were my teacher in school. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on in anytime. <laughs> well, with what both of you have said, it leads into my my next question. Okay, so now in One Arctic Night, Panuk talks about his nephew, Aklak, who attended school in Montreal. Now, Aklak describes the people as rushing to and from their destinations without looking up, 
uh, which is so unlike the village life. And what does it mean to be your best? Kelly, you write, being your best self means working together to solve problems and listening to new ideas. So we are touch. We've been we're, we've been touching on this. So can you both talk to me about communication and encouraging communication amongst our young adults and children? Because um, I think that's a strong message in each one of these books. So who wants to go uh, first? <laughs> it's it's uh, really neat that you noted that in the book. Uh, you know, again, these were based on some true experiences. The We have a, a problem here in Montreal with, um, I guess you might call a ghetto situation where uh, the Inuit gather there's often uh, some social problems uh, related to that. And um, we have had people frozen to death on the streets, uh, which I mentioned in the book. Uh, and that is so unlike what occurs in these villages where people do communicate. They are there. There's the unwritten rule of the North, which is actually exists, which I mentioned it's part of the theme of the book. There is an unwritten rule of the North that you're never to turn down um, uh, a, a person from having shelter. Here in a big city, it's completely different. Um, you know, a, a few, I think it was last winter, there was a fellow that froze to death in one of those porta potties. You know, he went in and tried to sleep in uh, one of these. Uh, toilets that they set up at construction sites. Uh, the communication here just disintegrates because of our large institutions and, um, you know, very difficulty to reach out to these people that are on the streets. And so it's a horrible situation. And I wanted to show the difference. Up in these villages, there's no problem like that. There is an unwritten rule that you always have shelter. You're always going to have a place to go. Uh, it's so important um, to show the con the contrast, and that's what I did in this book. Uh, that communication is so important that people in these villages communicate. They all know what's going on. Like uh, when Anuk's dad gets ill and has to leave, everyone in the village knows that, and they care. Uh, you know, the the mother of Toklo, the best friend is um away with a pregnancy in winnipeg and she uh he's worried about her but the families around take him in and they take care of them uh they feed them they you know it's it's completely different than um than what what we're exposed to in a large city yeah yeah and kelly communication it uh, i'm just listening yeah. to your class like mm -hmm. i i thought you have the communication in spades, but do you feel that one of the one I don't want to say issue, but communication is present in your story? I think where it's present in the story is um again, it comes back to that sharing and listening and reflecting. Um, and I think it's important that we recognize that communication and I tell the kids in my class this all the time it's not just verbal we can communicate with our body language and we can also communicate with ourselves and it's really important to tell ourselves positive things I can do it um or I'll try again tomorrow or I'm not quite ready I'll I'll try this in a couple of days or um in our class we often say okay somebody's having some big emotions um who can support them and kids will put up their hands. I can, I can. But we also say, we, we don't know. We don't know how to support you. We don't know what you need. So it's so important that you communicate with us what you need. Do you need to go get water? Do you need someone to sit with you? Do you need someone to help you rebuild your tower that just fell down? Whatever it is, you need to communicate what it is because otherwise we're all just guessing and nothing's going to get solved, um, you know, the way it needs to and in a timely matter. And if things are just going to keep getting bigger. One of the things I love about teaching the littles in kindergarten is that their minds are still 
I want to say fresh, you know, like they're not, they're not um, jaded with life and global experiences just yet. So I always explain to families, like their ideas are big. And as they get older, sometimes they tend to get smaller and more put in the box. And um, we always talk about how my job as their teacher is not to um, tell them what to do, but it's to help them to be uh, the best version of who they are and to go home a little bit better at the end of the day and a little bit happier and just feel supported and safe. And so we always say, you don't have to have all the answers to everything, but you do need to know where to find them. And we can often find that support and find those answers by communicating with other people. And uh, I I just think it's important to break down those barriers and teach kids um, to seek support and ask for help and offer your support. And all of that comes through verbal communication and um, just a lot of sometimes nonverbal communication, a smile, um, you know, a thumbs up, a laugh, all of these things um, can't go overlooked. They need to be seen. I I sometimes actually tell my younger son, sometimes with our older son, you need to be um, like a love detective. (laughs) You need to recognize that he's not going to communicate with you the way that you would communicate with him. So when he looks at you and smiles or when he says I'll go get your water bottle that's him communicating love to you so just take it yeah. you know so yeah. cool cool on that on that same theme uh, uh Joanna if I could throw this out yeah. uh Panuk when he's um during the storm and he's sitting back remembering what his parents talked to him about racism uh one of the th- major messages to get across the mother said to him the best thing you can do is talk to us about it don't hold it in don't deal with this on your own uh the most important thing when you're confronted with racism is to come and talk to your parents and communicate what's occurred so i thought i'd throw that out no i'm glad you did that's that and that's the communication yeah yeah Mm -hmm. definitely now I have a question which is specific for each book um, for both of you. I'm going to start with Dawn. And what I liked so much was learning about Panuk's life and his customs and way of life. And honestly, Dawn, as I'm reading it and I hear about that the tourists have arrived, my heart dropped. And I thought, oh, God, and how are the, literally, literally, I was thinking, how are the tourists going to mess this up? Okay. Um, you know, and you see the, dis- the disrespect and like, and you see the racism, um, but the tourists definitely learn a valuable lesson when that storm hits. So I was wondering if that scene was based on anything you witnessed or just if you want to just talk to me about that scene. Yes, absolutely. All of these little anecdotes that I put in here have sort of occurred. Um, I uh, can remember uh, I had a fellow from Texas uh, because I was involved in the petrochemical industry. Uh, we interacted with Texans quite a bit. And um, that's where the uh, chicken wings come in. Yeah. I mean, I, I had started, when I started to write this, I thought I would make these two characters buffoons yeah. uh, to make them comical. I thought maybe I would have some comedy in this book. But one of the authors that I let uh, let read thought, well, no, they're, they would come across as being too stupid. Yeah. But in fact, some of what I was writing had actually occurred, for example, showing up with not the right clothing, yeah. uh, baseball cap and, uh, uh, you know, not not being prepared and thinking that they knew more than what what we knew living in Canada. And uh, so, um, so so some of these little anecdotes where I talk about uh, the chicken wings and uh, the pitching of the tent and that sort of thing, uh, actually, it comes across from some of the personalities that I dealt with. Uh, uh, some of them quite funny, uh, actually. I like the clothing thing is an actual 
thing that it wasn't in the Arctic. It was in Newfoundland, and it it was so cold and windy, you just couldn't believe it. I was wearing a skidoo suit and a parka on top of the skidoo suit because it was so damn cold. And this Texan arrived with a baseball cap and a sports jacket. And I I had to bring him to a, a um, army surplus store so that he could buy the right clothing. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of took that story and I brought it up north. Uh, there, there's another scene. I know it's not quite answering your question, but there's another scene where uh, the alcohol is poured out yeah. uh, because the town is dry. And the alcohol is poured out on the uh, on the um, on the runway uh, by the constable. Well, that actually occurred. I had an experience like that, but not in the Arctic. This occurred when I was in a dry state in India, and we were all called off the plane, and there was a big production, and they poured the booze out onto the tarmac, and so I took, you know, uh, I guess took that story and I placed it in the Arctic because it is a horrible problem up there, the drinking. And yes, there are dry towns up there where they've decided not to allow alcohol in these towns. And there's been a big difference as well. They have other towns where they might only sell beer one day a week uh, to try to keep you know people working and everything during the other days. And so, uh, you know, the, these little stories that I threw in actually occurred. Uh, the racism itself was mostly created, though. However, you might not have known it, <laughs> and I might be giving away something here, but my characters, uh, I'm, I'm issuing a bit of a political statement there that might not be noticeable to everybody. But I'll just throw this out. Yeah. If you can think of another very racist person whose initials would be similar to Daniel Talon. Okay. <laughs> okay. And also Bubba, when he talks about his last name is Wall, oh. and he's an immigrant, a Scottish or a Irish immigrant, and I'm throwing out Wall and DT as a bit of a political statement there because I'm observing a lot of racism going on in in the states right now, and this was my little kick at the can, let's say, to yeah. get that message across. I don't know if people are seeing it or not, but hopefully they can draw some lines to other racist people whose initials might be DT. Yeah, and uh, also the fact that uh, Bubba Wall, his last Bobby Wall. And he was uh, an immigrant from Ireland, or uh, uh, you know, his ancestors were. I'm just throwing that out as yep. maybe some people will get it. I'm not yep. sure. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, it's it's interesting because I know with my own novels, just trying like weaving in social issues. You know, and and that's what I've been doing with Spy Girls. You know, just um, an incident happened, which just um, it. Okay, Spy Girls isn't about the pandemic, but it's about the disrespect nurses received in the pandemic, and that hit me so hard, so hard because I'm thinking these are individuals who are putting their own lives at risk to save others, you know, and not just, and nurses, emergency, emergency personnel, right? And that just, it hit me so hard. And I thought, okay, how can I weave this in my novel? Right? I can't wait yeah. to read it. Well, thank you. Mm, me thank too. You. Thank you. So now, Kelly, your book, it is multicultured. It's inclusive. It's beautiful. I uh, after it, I had a good time, you two, right? Like I, I I printed off, you know, uh one Arctic night, and then I'm looking at the illustrations. And I'm like, I want to see these in color, right? <laughs> and then I have Kelly's up on my second monitor, and I'm just it was just a fun scroll, scroll. Oh, look at this illustration. And um, so Kelly, mm -hmm. we have a I think we have a long way to go. 
as a society and hearing you, like I say, hearing you and, and as a teacher and like you say, the fresh young minds you have. So I just still at times just shake my head and I think about books that are being banned. Mm. Yet, we know, we have certain governments claiming we have freedom of speech, but we're banning books. And I'm just, I just <laughs> I could feel a migraine coming on just thinking about that. Okay. So do you hope that with the younger generation, starting with the children, seeing your book, reflecting different cultures, diversity, that one day, this is going to be a mute topic. You know, mm. we're not going to hear things like banning of books. Right. One can only hope. <laughs> yeah. um, it was very important to me that the, the characters in the book on the pages reflected the students that I've worked with. Yes. And I wanted each child, um, as many children as possible, to look at the pages of the book and recognize somebody, recognize themselves. And um, it's, you know, like listening to Don talk about all of the personal little anecdotes that he's put in the book that nobody would really know that are stories from his life. But as I look through this book and my other book, I know who the characters are. I know that that was a boy I taught three years ago. And I know that that was, you know, a little girl who I worked with. And these are real kids. These are real people. And the thought of not being able to tell their story because of somebody else's opinion just is mind boggling to me. I can't imagine um, having the kids in my class I'll write stories and say, we'll read yours, 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 and but not yours because of something that I think. Yeah. You know, that's their story and these are them. And I, yeah, I just want everyone to be represented. And I hope if I can have one small little, you know, uh, influence on, on making that happen. And when the kids flip through the books and they see themselves, um, and they see themselves out there and smiling and laughing and playing together and kids of all races and abilities mixing together on a playground and and no one stops to think twice i think yes. that's that's what it is is that i've never spoken about the characters in the book because they are they just are yeah. and i don't think i need to stop and and explain this child has you know um limb differences and this child may have a um facial um birthmark and this child may have hearing aids because they just are yeah and i think that it's really important yeah to be able to open up any book and to not have uh, a disability or differences be the story yeah yeah but it was very is. profound uh, kelly what you said uh that i clued into what you said about how you don't want someone's um personal uh kind of decision to control mm -hmm. who reads these things it's you know it, it, exactly you put it in good words uh, i say mm -hmm. it like that yeah. oh, I, I feel good i feel good <laughs> i feel good okay <laughs> um so i just have a couple of questions before we wrap this up first i create art so when i see i saw the illustrations in both books they're beautiful so i'm curious to find out how did you two feel when you first saw those illustrations so who who wants to go well i'll um i'll mention that uh i approached um this company in california that does illustrations like that and my main goal i i do collect inuit art i have quite a i don't know if you could see any behind my shoulder but i do have a extensive extensive collection uh and inuit art is very primitive so i try to this asian artist to try to get across the idea that i wanted something primitive uh you know it's not uh, very similar to inuit art um and they came through they did a great job they uh, uh all of the drawings in there are relatively primitive they're not something that a real artist would sketch yeah. uh so they did follow my instructions and i'm very pleased with them good good they're well like i say they're beautiful so mm -hmm. kelly 
the mm. illustrations in your book? Yeah. Okay. So one, I learned that I wish that I was artistic like this because um, I worked with a company out of um, Kelowna and then the illustrator that, that they have worked with for my books is in um, Russia. Okay. And so, yeah, we went back and forth and I really wanted it to be local to BC. Um, and when I first saw the illustrations, first of all, the illustrations were like, oh, when you see the sketches, just mind blowing what, what people can do and what Maria was able to do with my ideas. And then once she adds the color, yeah. oh, because as writing a children's book, I knew I wanted page to page color. I wanted the whole thing to be visually appealing, especially working with littles. Um, a lot of them are still learning to read. And so I needed them to be engaged with the story just through the illustrations. And also because my book isn't a traditional story, it's more of a series of statements and questions for the, uh, the reader to reflect on. The actual story is in the illustration. And each page kind of tells the story of those words and of those characters. Um, but also each book goes through a day. So the first page of the book is, um, uh, these books were kind of inspired by my grandma. So it is yeah. a grandmother sitting with um, a child. And then the end of the day, uh, or the last page is the end of the day with the, the grandma walking with the child. Uh, she also saw my vision in the sense that I wanted something for the kids to really deeply engage with in the illustrations. And so, yes, it's multicultural and, um, you know, different abilities, but there's also something hidden on each page. And so the kids get so excited and I realize I'm very thankful. I put that at the back of the book because if I had put that at the front of the book, they would never hear a single word that was read because they would just be looking for the hidden object. So um, this, what does it mean to be your best has a hidden star on each page and it, says, um, you know, I hope just reach for the stars. And so, um, yeah, the illustrator just amazingly captured my vision of nature and color and also simple. And yeah, those hidden stars, she was really creative with that. Well, I got to the end and then I'm scrolling back like, okay, where are they? <laughs> okay, I know, right? And some of them, some of them still, are challenging. I couldn't find some. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. the fun of it. They're all there, yeah. I promise. Yeah. Okay. So what's next for both of you? What's next? Just Kelly, what's next for you? Book number three. <laughs> book number three in the same series so it's what does it mean to be brave what does it mean to be your best and then I won't tell you the title okay. um, but it is it does talk about the transferability of skills that are not skills that we traditionally look at as being um, academic okay. I'll put it that way good yeah. good and how about <laughs> you Dawn what's what's next yeah. for you well I, I've got uh, two on the works Two more. One will be, I'm going to compete against Kelly. It's going to be a children's <laughs> illustrated book based on the same theme of forgiveness, yeah. uh, but using animal characters. And then there's a clue in One Arctic Night when Panuk near the end is lying there thinking, I wonder what adventures I'll get into when I get to Thunder Bay. And uh, it's going to follow Panuk and Toklo to Thunder Bay, where they will actually have another interaction with uh, the people from Texas. But this time, the roles will be reversed. This time, the Texans will come to the rescue. Oh, nice. So it's going to be an interesting follow-up to uh, One Arctic Night. Uh, and I've got a, a third one that I'm looking at. It's a manuscript I found from um, a, a great uncle oh. that arrived in Canada from Scotland. He wrote a manuscript and uh, was never published. I discovered it um, a few years ago, and I might do something with that because mm -hmm. I'm very proud of my Scottish heritage. I just got back from Scotland three days ago. I was uh, traveling Europe for a month. I'm still jet lagged. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to take this manuscript because uh, it's fascinating about what they had to deal with coming to Canada and the winters that they had to deal with. And they eventually moved across Canada and stayed in a 
a sod house on the prairies where I think two of his children died from TB and it's quite something and they eventually ended up in Seattle Washington so I'm going to take that manuscript and maybe do something with it but before that there'll be a follow-up to One Arctic Night uh showing Toklo and Panuk in Thunder Bay where they're going to be going to university or college and uh we'll see if we can get a nice little story from that too excellent this is all really exciting excellent so my listeners i was checking my uh analytics this morning and it always amazes me because i may like for example this podcast will come out this saturday i think that's june 3rd and when i was checking my analytics this morning podcasts i had recorded in february are still being listened to today and uh, which really makes me feel good so i'm thinking about that listener who may tune in let's say 4 months from now if they want to know more about you too uh do you to have a website or are you on instagram or anything like that all of the above so you can find me at kellyshudo.ca is my website um, also, Kelly Shudo Books on Instagram. And I've also recently uh, connected with five other local BC authors. And we are we have formed a group. It's called The Local Bookshelf. Our website is thelocalbookshelf.com. And on Instagram, The Local Bookshelf, or sorry, Local Bookshelf, um, where we're really hoping to connect with other local authors and maybe future authors and support each other through this self-publishing process excellent excellent oh, mm-hmm. and don yeah i don't have a website i did have um uh, donaldwibleybooks.com but i'm dropping that and so really the best way would be to uh, uh amazon i do have an author's page on amazon uh and googling my book is being sold everywhere um so just googling my name, I'm sure you'll be able to find where to get the book or to read up on the book. Excellent. Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. you two, this has been so much fun. This has been so much fun. Anything you two would like to add before we wrap this up? Yeah, let's do another two hours. <laughs> well, you know I just want to say uh, you're doing a great service to authors in it, uh, and I really appreciate it. And I know it's not easy. And so I just want to sincerely thank you for what you're doing for authors in Canada and and around the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. I agree. I was really nervous and you are fantastic. And Dawn, so lovely to meet you. I can't wait to pick up your book. Um, Just thank you. Thank you. Likewise. I I tried to get yours online last night, but Ah. it's downloadable. I would have to order it. So I I figured I won't order it yet because I want it to be prepared. So I talk to you about your book, but I will get it definitely after we hang up. Well, I'll get yours as well. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You guys, well, you have a good day. 